We're in a new series called Starving, and it's about fasting. Uh, and fasting is one of those kind of scary spiritual things maybe that you're like, I don't know if that's for me because I'm, you know, pro-food, and I clearly obviously am pro-food. Uh, but what fasting is something we do as an act of emptying ourselves so we can be filled with what God wants to do, be filled with His presence, be filled with His purpose. And fasting is really just saying, God, I'm more hungry for you than the things of this world. That's it. Fasting is the act, we'll put this on the screen, of denying our natural desires and intentionally, intentionally emptying ourselves so that we can be filled with God's presence. So we're not just emptying ourselves or just giving something up so that we can say, I gave something up or I'm empty, I've emptied out my my uh, stomach or I've emptied out my time or whatever. No, we're emptying out so we can be filled with God, so we can be filled with His presence and purpose for our lives. And as, uh, as we jump in today, what I want to talk about is something that we can be filled with. And today I want to talk about being filled with thanks, being filled with thankfulness. It's interesting because this idea of thankfulness is almost universally accepted. Uh, people are pro-thankfulness. People are Almost any culture that I know of, people are like, hey, it's good to be grateful. It's good to be thankful. And on the flip side, nobody likes a complainer. Raise your hand if you just can't stand people complaining, right? And I'm like, when my kids started in the car, I'm like, stop. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your complaint, right? And uh, we, don't, we, don't, we like it in ourselves because complaining feels good when you do it. But when other people do it, it's really annoying, right? It actually reminds me of a story I heard one time about this guy. He decided to join a monastery. He went into monastic life. And so he, I think it was up at Mount Angel there in, in Sil, uh, Silverton, a couple hours north of us. He, uh, he joined the monastery and like many uh, monks, he took a vow of silence. And so he joined the monastery and after 10 years in silence, his superior, the head monk, he called him in and said, do you have anything to say? And the monk replied, food bad. <laughs> 10 years go by in total silence and the superior calls him in again and he says, Okay, it's been another 10 years. Do you have anything else to say? I'd like you to voice your thoughts. And he said, bed hard. After another 10 years of silence, he was called in before his superior and asked if he had anything to say. He responded, I quit. <laughs> and the superior said, well, that doesn't surprise me one bit because all you've done since you've been here is complain. <laughs> you know, in life, we teach our kids the two magic words. What are the two magic words? Please and thank you, because we appreciate thankfulness. And this doesn't even start in our culture. This goes back thousands of years. The great Roman orator Cicero, he, it's not a pizza place, guys. This is a Roman orator. He, uh, he said, a thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all the other virtues. More recently, Jefferson Besky said this, thankfulness is the quickest path to joy. And we get this, don't we? That when you're thankful, you just tend to be more joyful. You tend to be more happy. Uh, Nick Vujicic, if you haven't heard of Nick Vujicic, Nick, Nick Vujicic was born without arms and without legs. And he's an incredibly inspirational figure. Um, goes all around teaching people how to be grateful and teaching people how to see hope in life. Uh, and, and he has a lot to say about it because he went through some, or he's in a pretty desperate situation himself. He said this, I never met a bitter person who was thankful or a thankful person who was bitter. And so today as we talk about being empty, emptying ourselves in this season of fasting, this journey that we call starving, we started it last, uh, last week, but if you, if you weren't here last week or if you didn't hear what was going on, you're absolutely welcome to jump in today. Just a great time of emptying ourselves so we can be filled with God. Today we're talking about being filled 
with thankfulness. As we get into the Word, I want to talk about the book of Colossians. And this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Colossae. Uh, if, you're not, if you don't know this, maybe you do, but if you don't know this, many of the New Testament documents, the New Testament books, specifically the ones called epistles, they're actually letters from uh, whatever writer it was, maybe one of the apostles, the Apostle Paul wrote many of them, or maybe John or Peter. They wrote these letters, epistles, to these churches. And so there was a city called Colossae, and there was a group of Christians there that had come to know Jesus And this church was actually not founded by Paul. It was founded by one of his spiritual sons. Uh, Most people think it was Epaphras, which that's the name right there, right? How many millennials are going to name their kids Epaphras after this message? They're like, this is our son Epaphras, you know? I thought that was funny, but, you know, people online were laughing uproariously. I know they were. But Epaphras founded the church in Colossae, and so Paul had actually never been there that we know of. And uh, in Colossae, there was actually uh, a a heresy that was beginning to be birthed where people had come in and were teaching these Colossian Christians that it's not, Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus plus you need to add the law of Moses or you need Jesus plus whatever thing you're going to add to it. And so Paul writes uh, the the letter, uh, what we call the book of Colossians. He writes it to this church in Colossae and he's helping them to correct their belief structure. He's helping to fix their the focus of their beliefs and let them know that Jesus is enough, that faith in Christ is enough for your salvation. But what's fascinating to me is that as you read through the book of Colossians, it seems like Paul, not only is he fixing their beliefs, but he's like incessantly reminding them to be thankful. Let's look at this. In Colossians, in Colossians 2, 6, he says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, strengthened in your, in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Then in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then it's like he reminds, and be thankful. Then again in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, there's that word again, to God the Father through him. And then in Colossians 4.2, once again, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and, say it with me, thankful. So why does Paul seem obsessed with thankfulness. And he's, he's correcting a heresy. Like he's writing to this church and he's fixing their beliefs. I mean, the real problem that the Colossians have is not that they're not grateful. It's not that they're unthankful. The real problem is they don't believe the right stuff about Jesus. But what's interesting is that as Paul fixes their belief structure and he upgrades their theology and he helps correct them as a, as a shepherd in the faith, as a father in the faith, that he reminds them to be thankful. And here's why I think that is. Because you can believe all the right stuff about Jesus and still have a rotten, ungrateful heart, and the end result will be a bitter uh, crust of a person. How many of you have ever, just raise your hand if you've ever met a religious jerk? (laughs) Hopefully not here at Joy Church, though I've heard they do exist sometimes, and we try to hunt them out and remove them from the midst. No, I'm kidding. But uh, I've met religious people, and sometimes religious people can be the meanest, ugliest, most judgmental, you know, and you're like, Pastor Jake, you're looking in the mirror. I know. But sometimes religious people, they can believe the right stuff about Jesus, and yet it feels like whatever those right beliefs and thoughts and perspectives haven't gone in and saturated their heart, and because their end result is they're bitter and complaining and judgmental and all this kind of stuff. And so Paul, he says, I'm not just going to correct what you think about Jesus. It's important that you relate to Jesus and you relate to this world in the appropriate manner, which is through the posture of thankfulness. 
You see, it's not enough to believe the right stuff. It's important to have a grateful, thankful heart. We're going to look at that as we go on today. And so, again, as we talk about being empty, we're not just empty to be empty. We're empty to be filled. And I believe one of the things that God would have us to be filled with is to be filled with thanksgiving, to be filled with thankfulness, and to be thankful people so that someone could look at your life and say, you know what? They might not have everything perfectly right in their belief system because they're still growing or whatever. Maybe there's some stuff that, 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 uh, that, that questions they can't answer, but man, the thankfulness that comes out of them is attractive to me. There's something about their life that causes me to want to know God. The reality is complaining and grumbling is not attractive. It causes us to step back from people. But when somebody's thankful, even in the midst of tough circumstances, it causes us to lean in. So let's talk about how to be filled with thanks. I'm going to give you a couple practical things today. Number one, I love this one, stop complaining. Just stop it. How many of have you have ever seen the Bob Newhart $5 counseling? Guys, if you ever somehow slip through the cracks and get a counseling appointment with me, which will not happen, but if it were to happen, this is exactly what you would hear. All right? It's five minutes. It's $5. Have a seat. You know, Bob Newhart, he says, you know, what's your problem? And they start, well, when I get afraid, and he goes, stop it. That's the whole thing right there, right? How many of you like, hey, I appreciate that form of counseling? And that's the Bob Newhart. That's the message here. Stop complaining. Before you can be filled with thanks, before you can be this person of, with a thankful heart and worshiping God and, and relating to others with thankfulness, you've got to empty out the complaining. Reminds me of another story, you know, out in Arizona, I think at some point, it was this cowboy and he was driving down a dirt road and he had his favorite dog was in the back of the truck and he had a horse trailer. He had his favorite horse scout was in the back and he's driving along, but you know, maybe they're out by the Grand Canyon. He took a curve too fast and unfortunately the whole truck went tumbling and just in this terrible accident, uh, desperate for help. He's injured there by the side of the road and well, a state, you know, state patrol officer pulls up and he assesses the situation and he finds the horse is in terrible agony and he realizes the horse isn't going to make it. And so being an animal lover and realizing what he has to do, he, he pulls out his service revolver and he, he puts the horse out of its misery. And then he goes around the truck and he finds the dog. And unfortunately, the dog is critically injured and the dog's not going to make it. And so the officer, you know, he does what he has to do. Right, Andrew? Is this, this is protocol, right? No? Okay. <laughs> he puts the dog out of its misery. And then he goes around and he finally finds the cowboy who's suffered multiple fractures laying there on the side of the road. And he says, excuse me, sir, are you okay? The cowboy looks at the smoking gun in his hand, looks up with big eyes and says, I've never felt better. (laughs) You got to stop complaining. You know, grumbling and complaining is the, the native tongue of hell. It's the native tongue of demons. C.S. Lewis said, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it's nipped in the bud." Now, C.S. Lewis isn't saying hell doesn't exist, uh, contrary to what some people have taken this quote to mean. What he's talking about, though, is the fact that complaint and grumbling indicates the presence of an ungrateful, lustful, dissatisfied, discontented heart that will not be satisfied 
with that which God has provided to satisfy the human heart and a grumble, a complaint. When you take this posture of, I'm going to be, I'm going to complain, that it creates your own private prison. It creates your own private hell. It's interesting. It's like somebody who gets into credit card debt, and I've been there before, so I relate to this, where you think, I'm just going to make this purchase on this credit card, and then I'll pay the monthly payment, but then something else comes along, and you pay another thing on the credit card, and then you get the bill, and you're like, that's a little bit more than I thought, but it's okay. I can still make the payment, and so you keep adding on, and pretty soon the interest starts coming at you, and it's like a snowball, and you get buried too deep, and it's moving too fast, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm in trouble. Complaining works just like this. See, you start complaining and grumbling, and first it starts with just a little slight, and well, this person, you know, treated me wrong, and you kind of begin to speak that complaint in your heart. But listen, though it might feel like a, a temporary balm upon the wound of affliction or whatever particular situation is going on, you're falling deeper and deeper in, and eventually complaining creates its own weather system, and it begins to trap you and create a hellish environment around you. Because the presence of a complaint, the presence of grumbling, what it, what it says is that I'm getting the short end of the stick. And until that's rectified, then there won't be justice and you're not going to be okay. And what happens with complainers is eventually every single tiny little slight turns into the biggest deal. And eventually all they are is this complaint going on into eternity. And that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. And so we need to be very careful about complaining, don't we? We need to get it, get it out of our spirit, get it out of our, get it out of our heart. I'm reminded of the Israelites that in the, in the book of Exodus, if you're going through a Bible reading plan here in the beginning of the year, we'll be hitting the book of Exodus really quickly. And in the wilderness, as God has delivered the people of Israel out of 400 years of slavery, and he's miraculously provided manna from heaven, bread from heaven for them to eat, and he's provided meat for them in the form of these uh, birds that he's bringing in. They, they, they start complaining and grumbling. And it's this horrible situation. And, and it's like, no matter what happens, they're not going to be happy. And it really ticks God off. It really ticks Moses off. In fact, in the story, one time Moses says, God, would you just kill all of them? And God's like, no, Moses. And then another time, God's like, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses is like, please, God, no. If they ever got on the same page, we'd be in trouble, right? <laughs> but the grumbling and the complaining... And it creates its own weather system and it's toxic to us. And so to be filled with thanksgiving, it starts with us saying, you know what, I'm going to arrest the urge to complain, arrest the urge to give in to the temporary satisfaction I might feel in this negative complaining attitude and instead do what we're going to talk about in number two. Number two is this, make thankfulness your first response. Rather than feed the negative, rather than feed the beast of complaint and grumbling, feed thankfulness instead. G.K. Chesterton said, happiness depends on what happens, but joy is a different matter. You see, in life, you can either be blown about by the winds of circumstances, and if things go your way, I'm happy. Woo! My team won. I got to eat what I wanted to eat. Nobody cut me off on the way to work today, whatever it may be. And, and happiness comes because of my circumstances. But when things don't go my way, then it's down in the Eeyore now because of what happens. But what Chesterton says is joy transcends circumstances. It, it doesn't depend on what happens. It's an entirely different matter. How many of you think that us being called Joy Church, we should probably learn this? I just, I'm, we should be the most joy-filled, joyful group of people that exists, which doesn't mean that we ignore that bad things are happening or ignore that something wrong is going on in the world or in our own lives or whatever. 
but we understand that no matter what happens in life, we can still have joy because God is on the throne and Jesus died for our sins and we have a relationship with God through our Savior. That we can have joy and rejoice in the Holy Spirit knowing that my sins are forgiven and no matter what happens to me on this side of eternity, in the end, in the final reckoning, I always will owe God such a greater debt than anything bad that could ever happen to me so I have no right to complain. In fact, it's a great injustice to complain. See, complaining says that I've measured everything, I've counted the score, and you owe me something, world. You owe me something, spouse. You owe me something, kids. You owe me something, coworkers. You owe me something, boss. You owe me something, church. I've counted it up. I've measured. I, I've looked, the, and there's a gap. And that's why I'm discouraged. That's why I'm disappointed, because you owe me something. That's always a complaint starts with you reckoning that somebody or something or the world owes you something. But a person who has experienced grace at the foot of the cross and received the blood of Jesus, heaven's treasure, as we sang about today, poured out for us, can never say the world owes you anything. Because what the world owes us is judgment. What God owes us is eternal separation. But what was provided for us through the grace of Christ is forgiveness and new life. Which is why Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Christians should be, should be noted for their gratitude, for their thankfulness, for their heart that pushes away complaint, even when it feels justified or seems justified, and says, instead, I choose to be thankful in all circumstances. How can a person be grateful and be thankful in all circumstances? Because I don't know about you, but many circumstances in life I don't like. There's many things that happen that I don't like. The Huskies win football games every once in a while, and I don't like it. You want them to lose all their games, Pastor Jake? Oh, yes. Yeah, to be fair. So how can we be thankful in all circumstances because of what God has done for us in Christ? There is no circumstance that trumps what Jesus did at the cross. And here's the reality. Thankfulness is a gift from heaven to help root out the power of hell that wants to work in our heart and pull us down. And it's not so much, are, are you going to heaven? Are you going to hell? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about heaven and hell at war with us right now within us as we live out this life on this side of eternity. You know, inside of us, there's always this wrestling match between heaven and hell. Or somebody might say, you're good angels and you're demons. You know, the wrestling match that always goes in. They're like the Jiminy Cricket on one shoulder and the bad one on the other, right? And heaven gives us this gift that if we'll choose thankfulness and we'll say, in, no matter what circumstances are going on, I can choose to be thankful. I can find the lesson in the pain. I can find the blessing in disguise. I can look for what God could be doing or what he might be up to. Or I can even look at a dark and bad situation and still realize that in Christ, I have eternal victory. But here's the reality. No matter what, thankfulness makes it better. No matter what, good days, bad days, in between, boring days, no matter what, thankfulness makes it better. When I was a young whippersnapper, just knee-high to a grasshopper. My, uh, my parents put me into a daycare that was at our church, and Joy Medford used to be called Joy Christian Fellowship. Um, when, when we planted Joy Church Eugene, I said, Dad, we should all be called Joy Church because it's, uh, it's a better name. So anyways, we got rid of Joy Christian Fellowship, and now they're Joy Church Medford. So just in case anyone from Medford's watching, Joy Eugene was first. Okay, just put that on the record. 
and they need to be thankful for that. So we were Joy Christian Fellowship, and we had a daycare at the church called Jump for Joy. And uh, Jump for Joy daycare was, it didn't make me want to jump for joy. My parents would bring me there, and I did not like it. And the main reason I didn't like it was because they made us take a nap. And as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old, whatever, who knew everything, I did not want to take a nap. I did not feel tired. And so to me, it just felt, you know, morally reprehensible that I would be forced to take a nap. And so I would make my case known to my mother every day on the way there. Mom, I don't want to go. Mom, I don't want to do this. Mom, I do not want to be at Jump for Joy. It does not make me want to jump for joy. It makes me want to run away. And uh, so on and so forth. And my mom came up with this line. And it used to really bother me. I mean, it really, really irritated me. I mean, at a deep level. They're like, you might be thinking he needs therapy. And you might be right. She would say, Jake, you don't have to go. You get to go. I was shaking with anger, you know. (laughs) You don't have to go. You get to go. And I'm like, can I not have to go then? No, no, no. You get to go. And and she would always reframe. And and it really made me mad as a kid. But it got into me. And later as an adult, about two two weeks ago, I realized (laughs) I learned my lesson. As an adult, I realized my mom was helping me do something really valuable. Reframe a rotten attitude into gratitude. She was teaching me She's probably irritated at me because now I have my own kids and, you know, man, kids are irritating. You know, not other people's kids, just mine. Uh, They're wonderful and also infuriating. She was helping me to reframe a negative attitude, an ungrateful spirit, and reframe it into gratitude. Not you have to, but you get to. You know, maybe when you look in the mirror like me, you think, I could stand to lose a couple pounds. I could stand to to get a little bit more healthy as we move into the new year. And instead of saying, I have to go to the gym, what if you said, I get to go? What if instead of looking at the fact that, like I've said before, I hate exercise. I don't like it. It's like the Lord of the Rings. All we've had to eat for three days is maggoty bread. You know, (laughs) you know, the bad guys in movies are always ungrateful, right? (laughs) What if instead of that, I said, I get to go. I get to go and be challenged to be the better version of myself. I get to go and learn how delicious fruits and vegetables are this year. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but all joking aside, when you reframe the negative attitude into gratitude, it's actually pretty powerful. My mom was teaching me something. She was, she was doing something really positive in my life. And I don't know about you, but I tend to be a glass half empty type of a person. It's easy for me to see what's wrong and ignore what's right. And I'm not just talking about, hey, let's just all be positive this year, have a nice day. No, no, I'm talking about this is a deeply spiritual thing. It's rooted in the gospel because thankfulness comes from a grace-soaked heart. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. So what if we just said, as a church, for the rest of the month, we're only talking like, what is it, the 16th, 15 more days this month. What if we said, instead of responding in in, in unthankfulness and complaint, what if we reframed it and we switched it and said, anytime I have an opportunity to complain, I'm going to instead give thanks. I was practicing this little discipline a couple weeks ago. We got home from church and, you know, it's written in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that after church you get to take a nap. I don't know if anybody knows that. It's, It's a clause. It's down deep. 
but it's true. You know, eat something delicious and then take a nap. And so on Sunday, I feel, you know, it's my right to take a nap. And so I told Bethany, hey, I'm going to take a nap. Um, could you make sure the kids, you know, please have them not slam the door as they're playing outside? Because the door of our house, it's like a double door. And when it slams, it reverberates the whole wall, which is right alongside where our, our, our bed is at facing our other room. And so if you slam the door, it like vibrates the walls. So I'm going to take a nap. I lay down in peaceful repose. You know, how, how do you sleep? I sleep like this in my, you know, coffin. In the, no, I'm kidding. I don't, but I just lay down in bed. And all of a sudden I hear, and my head vibrates. And then, you know, I hear the kids, and then every two seconds, vibrating, trying to take a nap. And, you know, there's an anger that comes out of the heart of a father. You know what I mean? You start shaking. You can feel it's like a volcano coming out of your belly. I was <laughs> starting to get really upset. The door's slamming. I hear Bethany, beautiful, sweet voice. Kids, dad's trying to take a nap. Let's not slam the door. And I'm like, I have the best wife. I have the worst children. You know. <laughs> so I'm shaking in anger, laying in bed. And then another child, the neighborhood comes to play at our house. And so another kid was there, and he was taking our Japanese maple, and he was shaking it against the, the, the window of our room. So I was hearing, shaka, 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 doosh, doosh, doosh. I felt like I was at a rave. And I just preached a sermonic gem, another perfect sermon on a Sunday, and I was in the Holy Spirit trying to take a nap. Rest for my soul, and now the forces of hell were <laughs> arrayed against me. And as I felt myself levitating in anger out of the bed to go and slay the beasts, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say, remember what you're trying to do right now, you know, remember. And I said, thank you, Lord, that I have healthy kids that can run around with so much energy outside on a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, that I have great neighbors and they have their kids have a lot of energy, and they, they are my kids' friends. And I began to give the Lord thanks in the midst of a situation that I wasn't super happy about. Now, I still yelled at the kids. Okay, let's be honest. I still opened the blind. Hey, you guys, stop it! You know, but that's just to teach them, you know, fear the Lord. I mean, it's, they're getting a, a lesson too. But actually, the, 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 the feeling of I'm being messed over now because somebody's stealing my nap, uh, it, it, it was gone, evaporated. And I, I was thankful to the Lord. I, 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 re, I pivoted. I, I changed the perspective. What, what if we just did that? Will you do that with me this month? For the rest of the month, let's just practice this. Let's just try. It doesn't mean you're always going to do it. But when you feel like they owe me something, somebody's messing me over, my boss was mean to me again at work, my wife didn't do what I asked her to do, my husband obviously didn't do what I asked him to do, that's going to happen, ladies, you know reframe it into gratitude and watch what God does in your life. Here's why. It's impossible to be thankful and miserable at the same time. Can't be done. A truly miserable person is not thankful and a truly thankful person cannot be miserable. And when you think about the fact that Jesus gave his life for you and paid for all of your sins and you owed an impossible debt to pay and yet he granted you forgiveness and he's granted you life the very fact that we get, got up this morning and we're not smited by the Almighty Smiter tells us something. I have a lot to be thankful for. More than I might imagine in the, in the moment. And when you begin to grab hold of thankfulness in whatever situation you find yourself in, the miserable 
thing is going to get drained. That, that, that unhappiness and that discontent. Gratitude disarms discontent. Gratitude disarms discontent. And it leads us, when we have this mindset of leaving complaining aside and choosing to be thankful first as our response, it leads us to the most pure and holy expression of thankfulness, which is worship. And that is where we're going to finish up today, is talking about expressing our thankfulness in worship. You know, worship is a gratitude game changer. I don't know if you watch hockey. I don't. I'm an American, so I don't. But uh, Canadians and and other people that like being cold watch hockey. Um, But one of the things they do in hockey that's really cool is when they they do the line change, right? And so the, the hockey coach with his mullet will bang on the wall or whatever. And everybody uh, skates over and three or four guys jump over the, the, the thing and then three or four more jump out and they do this whole line change. You know what I found is that in, in worship, when I, when I will turn my heart and my attention and my focus away from myself and away from what's happening and away from others and away from what somebody else owes me or whatever is going wrong and I'll begin to focus upon the Lord and just worship Him, all of a sudden it shifts everything. It's this whole giant line change. Everything bad and selfish and yucky get swept away. Worship takes our focus off of the world and other people and even ourselves, and it places it upon God, who is the real and true target of our thanksgiving, of our worship, of our adoration. Unthankful people can't do what Jesus commanded. Jesus commanded to worship in spirit and truth. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Get your religious ideas right. Yeah, we want to have the right theology. We want to know what the Bible says about everything, and we want to know that Jesus is sufficient. I mean, go back to what Paul said to the Colossians. You need to know that Jesus is enough. He's it. But in the midst of knowing that Jesus is it, you also need to be thankful. In the midst of having right belief, worshiping God in truth, you need to worship him in spirit. And when he gets a hold of your spirit, the right response is gratitude, is thankfulness. It's this pouring back to God. I worship him. I love him because he first loved me. I worship him. I even can stand in his presence today on this Sunday in January because of what he did at the cross. And you can't be miserable in that moment. It just disarms it all. It, you can't worship God in spirit and truth if you have this unthankfulness going on. It's grace-soaked hearts that respond in true thankfulness. When you have seen the cross, when you have met Jesus, when you have encountered his presence, when you have felt his, his forgiveness... It changes everything. When you've met Jesus, you, you can say, no matter what happens, I've been redeemed. This is our portion as followers of Christ. We've been redeemed by Jesus, and our, our response in worship should be thankfulness. When I get challenged and pressed and uncomfortable and I don't like what's happening, the fastest way to get rid of that and do the whole line change and go to the gratitude game changer is to say, you know what, I'm not going to look at all that I'm going to look at him. I'm going to focus on him, and I'm going to begin to worship and praise him. If you will reframe ingratitude into worship, your entire life will change. If every time you have an opportunity, maybe you even feel justified to have a complaint or a grumble, don't feed the powers of hell. Add fuel to what God is doing. Add fuel to heaven in your life. Add fuel to that and say, God, I'm going to choose to worship you in this moment. If you do that, you will stand with saints throughout history that have overcome incredible challenges. What if instead of us moving into complaint and trying to solve all the problems and 
look at the empty glass. We ignored the glass and looked at God and said, I worship you. We said with the psalmist in Psalm 100, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Church, would you stand up this morning and join with us? We're going to sing and worship the Lord. Let's just pray and enter into a time of worship. Father, we give you thanks. We give thanks with a grateful heart for all that you have done. Lord, you took us as sinners, deserving of eternal separation, deserving of death. And you gave us life. You gave us reconciliation. You gave us a place at your table. And Lord, you provide for us. God, I pray for any person here today that's walking through a challenge, a dark circumstance, maybe even something where there is really injustice being practiced against them. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us, all of us, to reframe into gratitude, to, to pivot and say, you know what? There's something in here that I can give God thanks for. And if I can't give God thanks for that situation, I can at least give God thanks for who he is. Because he is always good. He is always kind. He is always holy. And so, Lord, we worship you today. We worship you today. Let's sing this song, and let's just spend this time in worship to the Lord. Give thanks with a
Lord, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks, Lord. You're so worthy of our praise. God, we love you. We love your presence, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us out of darkness into light. God, I pray that as we move on in our service today, Lord, we wouldn't move on from gratitude. We wouldn't move on from thankfulness. But, Lord, we would choose thankfulness. We choose joy in every situation. God, it is our portion as your followers. We don't have just an inheritance in this life. Our treasures in heaven so we can always be thankful for what you're doing in us and through us now as it finds its full fruition in eternity. God, we worship you today. Help us reframe, God. Help us reframe the complaints and the challenges, Lord, and just respond in thankfulness and respond in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes just for a minute. If anybody's here today, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I I want to know Jesus. I want to be his follower. I want to put my faith and trust in him. And I'm not walking with him right now, or I don't have a relationship with Christ. This is a great opportunity to take that first step and put your faith in Jesus, to make that commitment to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so what we do here is we just ask just to take that step of faith. I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you. I just ask you to raise your hand right now. If that's you and you say, I want to put my trust in Christ. I want to I want to make him Lord of my life. Thank you. Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. I want to put my faith in Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray with you right now, and then we're going to give you some steps to take right after service. So let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving your life at the cross. Thank you for making a way for me to be reconciled with God. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I ask you for the grace to follow you as your disciple the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.